Let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Father, it's been such a wonderful privilege being able to praise you this morning. And we thank you for your love, which is constant, which we can always draw upon. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the promise that Jesus gave us, that he would never leave us, he would never forsake us. And that other lovely promise, that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there is he in the midst. And we say to you, Lord, welcome to the midst this morning. And we thank you so much that you have welcomed us. Thank you for the love that's been poured upon us this morning. Father, that love is so wonderful. We take it with us everywhere. Father, keep that love before our, our face, Father. Father, so that in, in every circumstance we may see his love beaming down. We thank you for the dedication this morning. We thank you for the sunshine in that little baby's face. And we thank you, it reminds us of the sunshine in your face. Thank you that the sun has risen indeed with healing in his wings. Hallelujah. Father, I ask this morning, Lord, that you will really guide us, that we may understand praise and thanksgiving, that we might increase our praise and increase our thanksgiving to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going through the basics of fellowship life and we're making our way slowly through all the things that we have in operation in the midst. You remember last time I dealt with the aims of a fellowship, and I actually spelt out six general aims that cover most of the things that a fellowship or a church ought to do. And by the way, you can use those six aims to mark every fellowship, to give an actual mark to every church, every fellowship, to see how your own fellowship is getting on. The six main aims were, you remember, one and foremostly, that a fellowship's aim ought to be to show its love for the Lord. Secondly, to create holy, mature, and stable believers. Thirdly, to incite its members, I love that word, to incite its members to love and good works. The word incite normally means you incite someone to violence, don't you, you know? And they didn't want to be violent, but someone made them flare up into violence. And what we should do is incite people into love and into good works. And number four, to minister to its own members, especially the poor, widows, and orphans. Then number five, to preach the gospel. And number six, to do good in the world. And by the way, I can go through our fellowship and I can see where we're good and where we're bad. Some of these we're very good. Most of them were medium. One we're very bad in, and God is leading us and gradually he's correcting us in all these things. We were worse some years ago than we are now, hallelujah. So the glory of God is being increased in the midst. But you remember also, I hope, that I said that one and two had to do with our full 100% commitment to God. Number three and four had to do with our 100% commitment to one another, and number five and six had to do with our commitment to the world that Jesus died to save. And I made the point, and it's an important one which I must repeat, that we've got to keep them in that order. The love and commitment to God has got to come first. And if ever, commitment to one another and commitment to the world, which are both very important, but if ever they are greater in our list of priorities than our love of the Lord, we are in tremendous danger and we will go wrong very definitely. Incidentally, I had a friend who uh, fell in love with number six. He wanted to do good in the world. And he was as hot as mustard for the gospel when I knew him. Today, that man belongs to a political organization, and he goes around knocking on the doors, preaching this political philosophy. You see, the love of Jesus wasn't dominate, dominant, and soon he got wrong as far as uh, the Lord was concerned. He went onto the wrong line altogether. And we've got to make sure our love for the Lord is preeminent in all things. I found a lovely thing out, by the way. The word enthusiasm, and I would say most people would say, even though they may not like the way we praise, most people would say, well, they're enthusiastic anyway. The word enthusiasm actually comes from two Greek words, en and theos, and it means in God. Enthusiasm means in God. And that's a wonderful thing and is exactly what I'm trying to say. Our love of the Lord has got to be the main force behind our fellowship. The day our love of God ceases, 
is the day we'll have to sort of start getting plans and, and ideas to keep the thing going and committees to do this and do that. And how, to, how do we get excitement into the church? Well, let's have a bingo party or let's do something like this. At that moment, the enthusiasm's all wrong. Unless in the center of our fellowship there is enthusiasm for God, there's no enthusiasm at all. And we must make sure that our hearts are kept right and that our love for the Lord is kept right. All right, now I'm going to go on and we're going to examine number one and number two to show its love for the Lord to create holy, mature, and stable believers. These two are related. You generally find, I think, that people who are holy, people who are mature, and people who are stable in the Lord are the ones who love the Lord a great deal. You see, you can't love the world, for example, and love the Lord. But if you're a holy one, you devote yourself to the Lord. And it's also true, I think, that those who love the Lord a great deal soon become the holy and the mature and the stable believers. Those two are fully related with one another. How do we show our love for the Lord then? Right? It's a very important thing. Some people would say, oh no, surely young Christians who are unstable, surely they are just in as in love with the Lord as more mature ones. And certainly if your understanding of what loving the Lord uh, is, is too small, then actually that, the answer to that is yes. But when you understand what loving the Lord is really about, then in fact the answer is no. You see, in order to love the Lord, there are certain things that we have to do. For example, praise is a way of loving the Lord. Another one is thanksgiving. To give thanks unto the Lord is a way of loving him. Worship is a way of loving the Lord. And certainly an immature believer um, can in some measure do those three. But loving the Lord has another very important aspect to it. In the ancient world, if you loved someone, you did what they said, you see. And if a great king actually said to his people, do you love me, what he meant was not that they were sort of emotionally, heart-flutteringly involved with him. That's not what they meant. What they meant was, yes, we love you because we obey your laws and we do what you say. And it's that obedience that's come through into the Old Testament and to the New Testament. And you'll find Jesus saying uncompromisingly, how can you say you love me, but you're not doing what I tell you to do? He says that's hypocrisy. And that's what I mean. If we're really going to love the Lord, then we've got to be stable and we've got to be holy and we've got to be mature believers. Also, of course, to love the Lord, you've got to love his word. You know, it gets down to solid reality. The amount you love the word of God is the amount you love God himself. And they're the things. So praise, thanksgiving, worship, Obeying the Lord and loving the Word of God are the ways we show our love here for the Lord. Now, next time I'm going to deal with worship, and I'll be dealing with obedience, and uh, we'll go on to see how to become stable, holy, and mature believers. But today I want to concentrate on the two words, praise and thanksgiving. You see, praise and thanksgiving. I wonder how many people here in the midst of our fellowship know the difference between praise and thanksgiving. It's confusion about those two things that causes a lot of instability as far as Christians are concerned. They do overlap, of course, but nevertheless they are also, or they are in part, quite distinct. Praise has to do with who God is. Praise has to do, and I'm going to say it again, with who God is. Thanksgiving has to do with what he's done. And there are two vitally different things in that. And the great tragedy is that very often it's thanksgiving that's given instead of praise. And a lot of Christians know nothing but thanksgiving. You know, the type of Christian where God's just done a miracle, where God's just given them a hundred pounds, where God's just used them to save someone. And oh, they come in the meetings and they're absolutely overjoyed. And you see them, they're up, and oh, it's wonderful. They dance at the front and swing around. It's thrilling. The trouble is, the next week is very quiet. And the week after is actually a disastrous week. You can always see them. They then sit on the back row. You know, their face very long. And you know what they're doing? They're waiting for the next major event to occur so that then they can 
what they call praise God again. But no, 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 they're not in praise at all. Those people haven't got beyond thanksgiving. And so you'll always see them, they're looking round for the latest thing. Oh, God has done this and God has done that. Thanksgiving is wonderful, by the way, but you've got to have thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving has to do with what God has done. Praise has to do with who he is. And the great thing about this is that God never changes. Praise has to do with his character, with his person, so that you fall in love with him. And praise issues forth from your mouth when you see just what a wonderful God you've got. The great thing is, that's not affected by what's going on in your life. It's always constant. He's always wonderful. He's always the great God. He's always the great Savior. And true praise issues forth from his character. Beloved, let me tell you this. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He is always the same. And to get your eyes absolutely on him as a person, as the wonderful lover, is the key to stability in praise. I want you to know this, that it's because I know him as a person that I am as stable uh, as I am. When I come into the meetings, it's not a question of, oh, well, I'm tired this morning. Or, well, really, he didn't uh, handle my arrangements very well, you know? <laughs> or, how come the car broke down this morning? That's Thanksgiving, you see. No, no. I come in, and he is still the great God, who's wonderful, who is enthroned in heavenly Jerusalem. And so, I, as one of his subjects, will give him the praise that issues forth from my mouth. I will praise the Lord. He is great, and greatly to be praised. And so I will give him the praise. I will also, by the way, give him thanksgiving. If God has done mighty miracles in my life, I will give him thanksgiving. And you may not be able to see the difference, and I may not be able to see the difference, and they'll all be mixed up. But it doesn't matter. I'm so grateful for all that he has done as well. But stability comes when we give true praise to him. Every meeting, by the way, ought to be filled with praise. True praise can always be shown because there is a stability in the level that is shown in a fellowship. Because Jesus is always level. He is always the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sign of maturity is, the sign of a mature believer is this. They always are able to praise the Lord no matter what is going on. Hallelujah. All right? Let me give you two examples quickly from Scripture where we have wonderful maturity shown. The first is one that you know very well, and it's found in Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> you remember here you've got Paul and Silas, and a woman's just been delivered, right? She had a spirit of divination, and they had just released her, and the people who owned her, who'd made a fortune from her, are furious with Paul and Silas. Look what happens. Verse 19. And when her masters saw, this is Acts 16, 19, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men being Jews are exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against Paul and Silas. Tremendous unpopularity. And the magistrates rent off their clothes, ripped them off, right? And commanded to beat them, which meant, of course, whipping them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. And not the type of prison that we have today, you know, with a nice upholstered bed and a television and your own phone. <laughs> not that type of prison at all, you know. And you have your own key, which you can use in an emergency. <laughs> Nothing like this. The type of prison that uh, occurred was uh, the rule in these days had grime, muck on the floor with rats running everywhere. They were dank and really disgusting. And these two men, unpopular, naked, and with their backs in ribbons from the, the whipping, are then thrown into this infested dungeon and locked there. And if that isn't bad enough, look what happens. Verse 
well, halfway through verse 23, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So they couldn't even move around. There's no soothing here to their backs at all. And look what happens. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And some people say, oh, well, they were praising God in all their circumstances. In other words, they were giving thanks in abeyance to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. No, they weren't. Do you know what they were doing? They weren't sitting there saying, well, the quickest way out of prison is to learn how to give thanks in everything. They weren't doing that. They had no idea of getting out of prison here at all. To say that they were doing that is to demean the whole of this story. Do you know what was happening? As they sat there in prison, they were so preoccupied with who God was, they could forget the dreadful condition they were in. They started realizing why the Lord is the same. The Lord went through all of this, as we are going through, and he's glorious and wonderful. God is the great God of creation, hallelujah. He's the one who will receive glory and honor and majesty and power. And they started rising into that. Those two sat there and they became preoccupied with who God was. And this is a hallmark of great maturity. After all, there is one person in the Bible who said this, even though God slay me, yes, I will praise him, hallelujah. That's it. Because he is worthy to be praised. Great is the Lord, is what we sing, and greatly to be praised. Now, that type of praise is not related to our circumstances. And that's why in our meetings, you'll often uh, have prophecies, and you'll often have words saying, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you're going through. And sometimes it seems a bit callous. God doesn't mean it to be callous. Of course he's concerned with what you're going through, because he wants you in thanksgiving as well. But what he's really saying is, no, the first priority is to praise me for who I am. The moment you begin praising God, then God's glory and his presence comes down into your circumstances, praise God, into the meetings. Why? Well, because the psalm, which psalm? Psalm 22, verse 3, says this, he inhabits the praises of his people. He comes down, he lives in those praises. And the moment you start praising God, God's fullness of glory starts coming down, you see? Now, God wants you to give thanks as well, but first, he wants praise. If God did nothing for you at all, your duty is still to praise him. And we've got to beware of materialism that creeps into Christianity. You know, well, God, if you provide this, and if you do that, then I'll give you praise. God says, no, I am great, and greatly to be praised, full stop. Praise God. Let me give you another example, and I prefer this second example, I must say. It's the example of David. Turn with me to 1 Samuel, and chapter 21. And every time I read this, I must say that I ask the Lord, what would my reaction be in circumstances like this? You remember here, this is the story of David running away from Saul. Saul's really out of fellowship, and he seems to have the upper hand. And David's the anointed one, and he's running. You know? type of situation no Pentecostal and no charismatic would ever allow for. But it's happened. Oh dear, oh dear. And this, this day he's running from Saul and he goes into the land of the Philistines and he actually meets up with the king of Gath, Achish, king of Gath. And this is a great problem to him because if the people at home get to know that the Philistines are protecting him, then David's lost a great deal and God's lost a lot of glory. And look at this, verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Now, somehow, he wants to live in Gath, but he doesn't want to be allied with this king. So what's he going to do? You know? So he does the only thing he can think of. He pretends he's gone mad. Right? Some people think we're mad, but uh, this is deliberate on his part. And verse 13, look what it says. And he changed his behavior before them 
and feigned himself mad in their hands. And this is a description of his madness. He scrabbled on the doors of the gate, started scratching the doors of the gate. And next, and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. He was foaming at the mouth. This is a very good act, you know, like some people who are caught for various crimes today put on, you see. And this is what David was doing. And spittle dripping from his beard, and he was uh, acting the madman. Then said Achish to his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of madmen, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And that's the question that he asks. You see, very important. Now, if you were in that situation, or if most Christians were in that situation, what would your reaction be? And what would their reaction be? Some Christians would say, well, God, honestly, you're supposed to be a great God, and I have to do this type of thing, to get out of the grip of the king of Gath. And they'd start complaining to God. They'd say, really, God? You know, where are you then? Wake up, O arm of the Lord. And that'd be the type of reaction. I'll be dealing with people like that next week, by the way, or next time, and uh, showing how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And David had the fear of the Lord in his heart. Do you know, as this was going on, he wrote a psalm. Yes. And you'd expect the psalm, wouldn't you, to be full of recriminations. You know how God let him down and finally he had to feign madness. Not a word of it. The psalm is one of my favorite psalms and one that you know very well. He wrote Psalm 34 at this time. Let's turn to Psalm 34 and we won't read it all, but we'll read a bit of it. Psalm 34. David was a man so in love with God, he wasn't going to let God's name be pulled down in any way whatsoever. And he writes Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my, in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And so he goes on and on and on. And at that time he's feigning madness to get out of the hands of the king of Gath. Wonderful. This is a psalm of praise sung unto God who hasn't changed no matter what circumstances David is going through. And beloved, the sign of maturity of any fellowship is that we praise God constantly no matter what is going to happen. Praise God. We don't know whether difficult days are ahead. We can pray that they won't come, but they might come. The praise is going to continue at the same level if we're a mature uh, fellowship. In fact, it might even go up. Hallelujah. That often happens too. Praise has to do with who he is. Now, we must seek praise and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, thanking him for all that he has done. And beloved, if you have a chance to testify at any time to what God has done in your life, take that opportunity. And really, as you're speaking it out, make it uh, full of thanksgiving unto the Lord. Don't glorify yourself, but glorify him in the thanksgiving that you are giving. This is also a great key as far as prayer life is concerned. So many of us, you know, our prayers are simply a list. I want this, I want this. Would you do this? And would you do this? And honestly, if I were God, I'd hang up. You know, I really would. Fancy if I uh, rang my wife from wherever I was. And I said, oh, hello. Hello, Roz. Um, first of all, have you checked all the letters? Secondly, would you make sure that so-and-so and so-and-so? Thirdly, would you send me so-and-so? Fourthly, would you send... Okay, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Put it down. I think she, after the fifth time of my ringing up, she'd say, oh, not you again. <laughs> you see? And yet we do it to God almost constantly. Can I ask how much of your prayer life is spent, first of all, thanking him for who he is? Father, we thank you that you are the great God and the great creator. I want to thank you 
for the magnificence that I see in your company. And, and words like this. You should always begin your prayers with words like that if you are a mature believer. You see, otherwise God simply becomes a sort of credit card that you're using, you know? You know, American Express, that will do fine type of thing. And, oh, you're a Christian, fine, have what you want, you know? It's not that way at all. We are losing the sense of reverence. One of the things I noticed when I was in Southern Ireland among the Roman Catholic charismatics there, they have something that's very lacking in our uh, churches in England. They have reverence to the Lord in the most wonderful way. They really fear the Lord. And I was so challenged when I was there in my own prayer life and in my own life that I should give him the reverence and give him the praise, you see? Now, this is absolutely important. The angels do it, you know. You read everything that is said by an angel in the Bible. You'll find half a praise and half a thanksgiving. Half say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are filled with his glory. Wonderful. And then they will say, worthy is the lamb that was slain, who has made us kings and priests unto our God. That's thanksgiving. You'll find they do both. We've got to do both as well. So that if you have nothing specific that you can praise, or rather give thanks for in a meeting, then, praise God, he's the same, you can still give praise in the meeting, unless it really come forth. All right, having said that, praise and thanksgiving, how do we show God praise and thanksgiving? How do we do it? Well, the Bible lays down specific rules as to how we should give praise and thanksgiving, and it tells us what is available. You don't have to do them all, but you should at some time do them all. By the way, I uh, had never been in real praise before I became a Christian. I'd never seen a group of people really praise the Lord. I thought that the singing that I'd heard, you know, in some of the churches I'd been in, I thought that was praise. I'd been so inculcated with that type of stuff that when I went to my first praise meeting, I walked out in the middle. I thought, this is terrible, you know? Oh, absolutely dreadful. It's too noisy. All these people standing up, and I left the meeting. I was really indignant about it, you see? Well, God had to teach me one or two things to show me that I didn't know what praise was all about. So let's have a look as, uh, as to what the Bible says about praising God. First of all, you are to praise God with all your body, not just with your mouth. So let's go through, beginning with the mouth, and see what parts of our body ought to be used to praise the Lord. First of all, of course, we are to praise God with singing, making melody in our hearts unto the King of Kings. And although the psalm gives plenty of uh, scriptures on that, I wanted to go to 1 Corinthians and chapter 14. So 1 Corinthians 14... where he's talking about praying in tongues, which are unknown languages, and praying with his mind as well. And he's saying, it's fine to pray in tongues, but make sure you also pray with your understanding so that people can be built up. And then he says this, verse 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit... And that's why, beloved, in our midst, you will find people praying, perhaps with their arms lifted up, and they are speaking away in other tongues. But they will also, and there will also be times at which they will speak out in English, and they'll say, oh, Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. And then we're all blessed by that. Speaking in tongues edifies the individual. Praying in English edifies everyone else. And verse 15, what is it then? I'll pray with the Spirit, I will pray with the understanding also. And then he says, I will sing with the Spirit. That's singing in tongues, which we have in the midst. Absolutely right. We've got to do it. And I will sing with the understanding also. So I'll sing with my mind and I'll sing in tongues and both will come through in praise and thanksgiving unto God. I think it was Chris Paul, you know, who's a, a musicologist in the midst, who said something very interesting to me uh, as I was traveling along in the car with him one day. He said, have you ever noticed, he said, that when we sing in tongues, there's never a beat to it. You can't ever bash a tambourine when we sing in tongues. And he said, isn't it wonderful? Because God doesn't dwell in time. 
So you can't beat out the time with God. When you sing in tongues, it's timeless. And it's always true. And when we sing in tongues, it's just heavenly, you know. It's beyond the realm of time. You can't put a beat to it. I was so grateful. It gave me such a revelation, uh, you know, as he said the words to me. All right, so we use our singing voice then, no matter whether you are good or bad at singing, to give praise and thanksgiving to God. The next thing that we do, and this is rather an interesting one, and we don't have too much of this at the moment, is found in Job chapter 8. Job is the book before Psalms. And in Job chapter 8, and verse 20, Look what it says. Job 8, verse 20 and 21. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. And do you know that smiling and laughing are two ways to praise and give thanks unto the Lord? Let me take smiling first of all. Have you ever noticed that Humanity is the only part of God's creation that can actually manage a smile. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the flowers in the garden are ever so beautiful, and you put them in a vase, but when you get in, they don't sort of smile at you. <laughs> if they did, you go screaming from the house. They just don't. They're, just, they're the same as ever. They're just there. You know, they just can't do it. If you have a dog, have you noticed he's never smiled at you once? Not, not once. It's just incapable of doing it. And some of the dogs have really hangdog <laughs> expressions on their faces. And the poor dog, he has to show how happy he is to see you. And so he's got this tail at the other end, which he wags. No human being has got a tail. And by the way, you've never had a tail because you don't need one, you see. A dog has to come scampering up, jumping about to show how excited... I mean, ridiculous. Praise God we don't act like that with one another. <laughs> or a cat. Have you noticed a cat, you know? Now, a cat, if it's pleased to see you, which is normally at feeding time, of course, but if it's pleased to see you, it has... You know, it can't go and grin at you like this. The Cheshire cat really doesn't exist, you know. It starts rubbing against your legs, you see, and starts making a noise. And that's the sign, I really love you, when's the milk coming? That's what it's saying. You see, it's putting it over. And no matter which animal you look at, none of them smile. They just don't. They can't do it. An elephant has 20,000 muscles in its face, and it can't even lift up the corner of its mouth <laughs> in a little smile. It just can't do it. But human beings have been designed to smile. Why have we been designed to smile? Because we've got a Father in heaven who wants us to use our smiles for him. And when he looks down in the midst, he doesn't get any pleasure, you know, if we're all singing, you know, with a long expression on our face. And you look around and you think everyone's as fed up as I am. <laughs> you see, and, and God looks down at that type of thing and he says, he says, really, these are my children. I'm very worried about them. You know, look at the long expression on their faces. I love you, Lord. <laughs> I love you. It doesn't give any praise. God has given us the smile primarily that we might praise him with our smiles. It has been my great privilege in this fellowship to have seen people going through great distress. I remember so many times when tragedies have hit certain families in the midst, and I've seen them with tears streaming down their cheeks, but they just couldn't help smiling. It's been the Lord's presence in them. And they've been crying and crying and crying, and yet a smile on their face. Because their smile is in God, their tears are in their circumstances. And I knew that they were praising God even through those disasters. It's wonderful. But do you know laughing as well is used to praise the Lord and to give thanksgiving to God? Did you know that? Some of us have been in meetings where Holy Ghost laughter has fallen on the meeting. I'm not talking about an embarrassing chap who's just trying to laugh, you know, and it's really but I mean when the Holy Ghost sweeps and someone is just laughing and laughing, the joy of the Lord becomes uncontainable. The first time it happened to me was when an American man was over here ministering in 1967. <clears throat> and uh, I went along to a certain meeting and this American man, there was a team of them, I remember, five. 
and they were all sharing what their ministry was. And this man got up, he was rather large, you know, and he said, well, he said, some people have a ministry of Bible teaching, and some people have a ministry of evangelism, and others have a ministry in song. He said, do you know what my ministry is? He says, I just laugh. <laughs> and he started to laugh, and laugh, and laugh, and laugh. And the whole place erupted. <laughs> 20 minutes of such laughter, I've never known anything like it. I thought my heart was going to stop. People were running out of the door to try and get some fresh air. And the Holy Ghost just came on that meeting and we were laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And, the, and then it subsided and then he started again and off it went. And he said, he said I stand up in vast conferences, 3,000 people, we can't say a word for half an hour. <laughs> laugh, laugh, laugh. It just falls upon the meeting. And it's all praise unto the Lord. It was one of the best meetings I ever went to. I went home and I, I couldn't stop laughing. And if my, I remember one of my family said, well, what are you laughing about? I said, I don't know what I'm laughing about. I'm just screaming with laughter. And sometimes the very memory of it just causes me to laugh and laugh and laugh. Beloved, in our meetings, the day is going to come where we will be collapsed in a heap. And when there are going to be people who walk out, very suddenly, you know, oh, it's wonderful to praise God like that. That's laughter. It's part of praise. Let me show you that in the psalm, shall I? Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Lovely psalm, this. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter from the Lord. Wonderful. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Praise the Lord. Then said they among the heathen, and they go into thanksgiving, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. There it is. And so when we smile, we are giving praise unto God. And every person in this room can muster a little smile. It's such a thrill to Father's heart to see his people smiling. You know, I'll tell you this. When I get home from a trip sometimes, and I arrive 3 o'clock in the morning, I pop in to see my little boy who's uh, fast asleep. And very often I'll just say to him, oh, Dad is home, and he's fast asleep, and a smile will go from ear to ear, or from there to there, whichever you want. And you know, it just thrills my heart, it really does. That little chap hasn't even opened his eyes, but he knows Dad is home, and he's really thrilled about it. And God sometimes just wants us in the meetings to sit there and to start smiling, you know. Not just, oh, well, I suppose I'd better smile. <laughs> like that. No, nothing like that. But so filled with his presence, so enamored with who he is, that a little smile just comes to our face. When I was first saved, I do remember this, my cheeks just ached. I hadn't smiled for years and years and years. All of a sudden, I couldn't stop smiling. His presence went with me everywhere. And my cheeks ached. I used to massage my cheeks to get the muscles stronger. It was wonderful. And so there we go. So singing is a wonderful way to praise God. In tongues and with your natural language, to smile is a way to praise the Lord, and to laugh is a way to praise the Lord. There are, t there are several others. Let's have a look at uh, two more, which are dealt with in one uh, psalm. Psalm 47. By the way, why are they all in psalms? Well, psalms was the hymn book, the chorus sheet of the ancient world. That's, that's why... See, this was the book that taught them how to praise God. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Clap your hands because you're so thrilled with the Lord. Yes, do it. Don't just clap because, oh, I think we'll have a clap. Nothing like that. Because you're so thrilled, you just want to clap him. You see? And then it says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. It doesn't mean you've got to do all of these things all the time, but God will anoint them by the Holy Spirit because God wants to lead the praise and the thanksgiving as well as the rest of the meeting. Do you see? I heard of one fellowship not far from here and they had a man who ministered to them about shouting. 
And every meeting from then on, they shouted their way through it, you know. Oh, it went on for years, apparently, shouting at the top of their voice. It, there is a time to shout. There's also a time to sing. There's also a time just to smile. Praise God. You see, we've got to get the balance right. But clapping and shouting are two ways of praising the Lord. And I would say this. If your fellowship or your church don't experience all of these things, then they have to ask God, actually, whether any praise at all is going up from the midst of them. God wants praise from his people. Why should the world have all the cheering and the clapping? I went to the last concert that Arthur Rubenstein gave, gave in the... Um, in the Royal Festival Hall. It was fantastic. You had 3,000 people on their feet, people rushing forward to the stage. They were throwing flowers at the poor man, you know. He, encore after, 21 encores, as far as I remember. I can't remember how many, what they call them, curtain calls. There isn't a curtain. But you know what I mean. How many times he had to come on. And they were shouting. There were tears streaming down their cheeks. And I was doing the same, may I say. But afterwards, I thought, Lord, I want to do that to you. Archer Rubenstein's nothing compared to you. He admits himself he looks like a goldfish. You see, that's what he actually says. You see, and there they were, giving this man for his mastery on one instrument all of that acclaim. Well, our Father in heaven and our wonderful Savior and the Holy Spirit have complete mastery in every realm. How much more should they receive praise uh, from the people of God and thanksgiving for all that he has done. And then, one other little thing. Turn to uh, uh, Psalm 63. Psalm 63. This is a way of praising God. And it's not quite clear to us why God likes us to praise like this, but he does like it very much. I've always said it's a sign of submission. Look what it says. Verse 4, thus will I bless thee. In this manner am I going to bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Wonderful. To lift up your hands, to just lift them above your heads. Always made me laugh the way we in this fellowship and others sing choruses about, I will lift up my hands in thy name. And most people have their hands right down. And the words they're singing have no reality at all in their lives. I will lift up my hands. Father loves to see. I think it must look wonderful from above. You see, I think it must be thrilling. Clean hands to the Lord. Wonderful. And he's seeing that their works are clean before him. It's a wonderful way to give, uh, to give praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord. With hands lifted up, we are told to pray. Men are told to pray with hands lifted up everywhere. You see, and that's something that we sh should bring back in greater measure into our fellowships. And then Psalm 149. Psalm 149, verse 5, which tells you of part of the body that often begins praising God before any other part of the body. I've noticed this. It was the first part of my body that started uh, actually praising God before I did. It's put slightly differently here, but look, look what it says in Psalm uh, 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name in the dance. With your feet, praise God. And I remember the second praise meeting I went to, I was really thoroughly disgruntled with the whole thing. But blow it, those songs were so lovely, my foot started tapping. And I looked at my foot, you know, and it was going away. And what was happening? My body was beginning to get free. You know, just a little tap on the foot. That's often how praise begins, just a little tap. And God's saying, hallelujah, his foot's praising me. <laughs> Wonderful, you know. And the next thing that happens, your leg is swinging. And, and then the other foot gets going before long. And you're away and gradually it comes through into the hands. You can't sit in a praise meeting for very long without at least your foot tapping. But here, I will praise him in the dance, you see, and dance for joy in the midst. That's right. This is a wonderful thing. Now, in order to come through into all of these things, God has to do work in our lives. But the work is done in the midst of the praise and thanksgiving. Those of us who have been very serious people before we came to the Lord. And we thought Christianity was very serious too. 
we suddenly come into praise meetings and God has to start moving in our lives. And God restores our youth to us in the most wonderful way. So that now even some children are embarrassed by the antics we get up to. (laughs) Hallelujah. And that's the way it ought to be. Because we're becoming young again. We're being like little children before our God. And we're dancing with joy. And it's a thrilling thing to do. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Uh, These are some of the ways that we praise and give thanksgiving unto the Lord. And we've got to make sure that we use all of these things. All right. I want to say just a few more things, though, about praise and thanksgiving. You'll find in the Bible that people were spontaneous in their praise. You have Miriam, do you remember, dancing for joy when they came out of Egypt. Hallelujah. God has done great things, and she was giving him thanks for what he'd done. And you see David spontaneously giving praise, and so many others, Moses, spontaneously giving praise. But not only did they praise God spontaneously, they also had excellence in praise. And you'll notice in the Bible, they had certain people who had a ministry in music, a wonderful ministry in music. And you'll find that in the Bible, both have to occur. There has to be spontaneity and there has to be excellence. And we, in our fellowships, have to get both of these as well. You see, all of us can praise the Lord, whether when you sing you sound like, um, you know, a rhinoceros. It doesn't matter. You still praise God. It says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's what it's all about, right? And if your voice is awful, God thinks it's wonderful because it's your voice. He designed it like that. So you sing and give praise unto God. But there are people in the midst who have a ministry in music. And these people have to come through into excellence in their ministry for God's glory. Now, I have been to some fellowships where it's all spontaneity. You know, very often they don't have any musicians at all. No one can play the guitar. No one plays the piano. So they all just use their hands and their voices. And it's all spontaneous, and it's wonderful. But I've been to other fellowships where the moment their musician touches the piano, the anointing falls. Have you experienced that type of meeting? There are some people around who just got it from God. And they touch the piano, and no matter how difficult the meeting is, the Spirit of God falls and begins to move in that meeting. That's the excellence that is coming forth. And Solomon, you know, had 4,000 Levites who spent all day just praising God. And they were excellent. They used to sing descants in the most wonderful way. So that when the people came up to the temple, it enhanced the glory of what was going on in the temple. Now, in our fellowship, we've got to have both of those. There has to be spontaneity, but we also have to allow those with a musical ministry and a talent to come through into that particular ministry. Those of you with children, look out for a musical ministry. I believe God wants every child with melody in his heart or her heart. I really believe that. Look out for the musical ministries. And the moment you see it, encourage it so that it can enhance the glory of the Lord in the midst of the meeting you know? And let's go through into excellence and into spontaneity, so that we get a mixture of both. Let's talk a bit about spontaneity in praise. Could I remind you, please, what I've said earlier, that the Lord himself wants to direct the praise by his Holy Spirit. And what we've got to see is that when we, we start a chorus, it's got to be God's chorus, So let's beware of two things. One, of just starting a chorus to fill in a silence. There's an awful lot of this going on in fellowship groups. Now, God wants to speak in the silence. So don't just say, oh, I'm all embarrassed, I'll start a chorus. It can delay a meeting. It can even stop the word of the Lord coming through into a meeting. If you start a chorus, make sure it's the chorus God wants sung in the midst. And the next thing is this. Don't start a chorus just because someone's just ministered on something that reminded you of this chorus, right? Now, sometimes it will be right to do that, but don't do it. In a fellowship in London, there's a couple, and their repertoire of choruses is vast. And every time I've been there, no matter what's been said, they always start a chorus about what's just been said. And one one meeting, they started 10 choruses. And, oh, I was ever so naughty, I remember. I said, Lord, please give me a message on dustbins. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, because I wanted to see if they knew a chorus about dustbins, <laughs> you know. And uh, I didn't get it from the Lord. <laughs> but you see, and it was so disruptive because God couldn't move. Every time someone ministered, oh, they knew a chorus and they'd start this chorus. It's no good. It holds up the flow. Everything we do in the midst should be led by the Spirit. The ministry's got to be led by the Spirit. The praise has got to be led by the Spirit. So that everything, choruses as well, are absolutely what God wants. And then we'll see the people with musical ministries coming forth occasionally. And they'll stand up and say, we feel we should share this. We will see Asaph, the leader, you remember, of the musical ministries. We'll see that man or that woman coming forth in the midst. Then God will be glorified. I think above everything, we have to be sensitive to one another. And we've got to be sensitive in, in our praise as well. When I was at university, you used to get to know the books on the bookshelves of your friends. And all the farmers, for example, had Know Your Tractor. That was the book <laughs> that they all had. And every musician had another book which said, Am I Too Loud? And what that meant was not do I, uh, am I singing too loud or am I playing too loud, but am I destroying the overall effect of what is going on in the music? And we've got to beware lest we can actually intrude on in the praise, you know. And God's got to lead us. For example, tambourine playing. Let me just mention that. You know, some choruses demand percussion. And so we have the tambourines. But do you know there are others where a tambourine should not be played? Absolutely not. And there's nothing worse than a nice worship chorus coming along and some chap dying to bash, 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 <laughs> in the middle of this. And everyone who is trying to concentrate on God, all they can hear is this tambourine that shouldn't be played, that doesn't fit into this chorus, and it's bash, 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 because we play tambourines in our fellowship, bash, 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 bash. It's so insensitive. And I would say that chap should read, am I too loud, you see, or those people should read, am I too loud. It's wrong. And we've got to be sensitive all the time. Do you know what my heart's desire is? My heart's desire is this. We should come through to a time where the choruses are so in the spirit that when God directs, there's no musical accompaniment. There's no musical accompaniment. I know the musicians would love that in the midst. The trouble is, if we don't hear the piano coming, we think, oh, they can't find the key. <laughs> or something's gone wrong. You know, it sounds like this. There are some choruses we sing that are wonderful, unaccompanied you know, with the voice as the main instrument. Okay, let's have the spontaneity, but let's ask God for excellence as well. Whether you can sing or whether you can't sing, you sing with all your heart unto the Lord. God receives it as from you. But praise is centered in his character. Thanksgiving is centered in his works. And all Christians should be able to do both, praise and thanksgiving. If you find you can't give thanks, at least you can praise, hallelujah. And the praise is the higher of the two. Glory to Jesus. Next time I'm going to speak on making melody in your heart and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God bless you all. Amen.